Hello and welcome to New Time Religion, a podcast featuring Dr. Andy Root with me, Derek Tronsgaard. So here's the thing. We're rolling along with a new batch of episodes. We're getting ready to record some more, and we want to hear from you. Over the past few weeks, listeners have been reaching out to us on social media with some great thoughts, some great questions, so thanks to everybody for those. In fact, today's episode was actually inspired by our friend JD, who had a great question, so thanks JD for that. But we thought it would be cool to hear from more of you, so we put together a fancy new New Time Religion Hotline. It's a number that you can call in and record a message for us. You can leave us questions, comments, your thoughts, and our hope is that that'll help us come up with more ideas and content for the podcast. We might even use your voicemail on the podcast if that's okay with you, and eventually we'd like to have a listener mailbag question episode where we lock Andy in a room for an hour and a half and throw as many of your questions at him as we can. So if you are interested in that, if you want to leave us a message, the number is 651-800-1089. Again, that's 651-800-1089. And you can call and leave us a message. For those of you outside of the United States, you can always contact us on social media at New Time Religion. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can also record a question and email it to us at newtimereligionpodcast at gmail.com. We're excited to hear from you. Thanks again to JD for this week's episode. And without further ado, here's another round of New Time Religion. So as some of you know, I am a Lutheran pastor, and one of my areas of ministry is working with young people. I serve at this smaller congregation, and we don't have a youth staff, so basically all of the youth ministry in my church is a part of my call. And I really love it. I've actually been doing youth ministry since 2003, so it's been a while. But lately, something has shifted. Something has changed. I can feel it. And it's only been within the last seven years or so. When I talk to other friends of mine who also do youth ministry, they'll say the same thing. There's something that just isn't clicking anymore. It's harder and harder to get kids and younger families to show up. Congregations, at least in the main line, that had big youth groups full of kids in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, they're just not that full of kids anymore. So what's going on? What happened? As most of you know, Andy is a theologian, he's an author and a speaker and a writer, and a big part of his work is focused on youth ministry. And Andy has a theory. He has a story of how we got here, and it's unlike any other of the ideas that are floating out there. And so on today's podcast, we're going to dig deep into this question. What happened to the youth group? What killed it? And what comes next? Yeah, so um, I think on an earlier podcast in this season, or if we're even doing seasons now, um, we talked about the difference 
we talked about the thing, remember, in, in the thing. So I think that has a lot to do with the demise of the, uh, of the youth group. But one of the things that I've been playing with and thinking a lot about lately is um, just how much – well, I, mean, I think I've referenced on this podcast uh, the German social theorist Hartmut Rosa, who I'm a you know, major fanboy of, who yeah. is kind of an interpreter of Taylor but actually is, is doing his own thing, building off of Taylor, and is, is just a really remarkable thinker. But – as I've said on this podcast, he thinks that modernity is acceleration. It's the continuing speeding up of every 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 structure really of our lives, from the pace of our lives to technology to to just social social change. These things all are speeding up. But my kind of contribution that I wonder about this, and this is maybe why I wonder why the youth group doesn't work as much anymore, is that um, in this accelerated speed up time that ironically something happens with adolescent populations of people and that when things, potentially when conditions are right and things really speed up, that we start to slow young people down in growing up. Post-war and in, in, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, were um, things were starting to speed up for the most part. But for the most part, our response to um, younger generations of people was to give them free space mm-hmm. and to let them do whatever they kind of wanted yep. and to not really be involved in their lives. Like, I think this starts to end... I don't know. I graduated from high school in 1993, yep. and this this existed for us. You mm-hmm. know, there, there were just few people. We were starting to, you know, we were starting to play on travel teams, and and people were starting to have like SAT tutoring and things like that. Like yeah. that was starting to come about. Yeah. But I look back on it, and we had a lot of time. Yeah. You yep. know, like, and my my own kids aren't even in like traveling sports and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And yet it just seems really hard for how they can get all the stuff they want to do into their lives. Yeah. And But we had a lot of time. Like I remember being – I mean I you know, I played sports and things, but I still just have all sorts of experiences and memories of just wandering around my neighborhood. You know, right. Just like really nothing to do and hanging around in parking lots. Well, that's and, the thing about Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Like kids today that watch that show are like, how do those kids have free time to like go on those adventures right. around their neighborhood and like play yes. Dungeons and Dragons in their basement and stuff? Like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Stranger Things is a really good example for multiple things. But I mean, one of them is that that show just could not work if it wasn't a period piece. Yeah. Because if, first of all, if there's a cell phone, it would never work. Right. But the whole kind of perspective, especially you see through Mike's parents, mm-hmm. um, where in season one particularly, but you see it in season two as well, where they're just, like, they don't care. That L's living in the basement. L's they have living no in the basement. Idea. They have no idea. Yeah. They're out in season two, like, fighting demigorgs, and they don't know. Yeah. And you just couldn't do that if it was 2000 right. or 2010, yeah. let alone 2019. Yeah. Because you could, you wouldn't have time to fight demigorgs because you would have traveling baseball, mm-hmm. and then you'd have to go to violin. Yeah. And your mom would be right there. Right. So, I mean, you kind of do get that. With and you'd w- miss assignments, and it would show up on the internet that your parents right. get texted to them and all that exactly. stuff. Yeah. And they yeah. would just – they would just uh, – uh, you know, find a friend thing and they would just track you. Right. You know, they would know you'd have an Apple watch on and they would just track you and call you, you know, you, yeah. so you would, you, you, it just couldn't, it couldn't work. But in the eighties and, um, in the nineties, even you had all this free time. And so if you think about like youth ministry 
or maybe even all ministry, but you think about it inside a kind of moral horizon. And so you think about it inside a moral horizon on kind of thinking like, if you were to ask the church, your kid's good. Are your kids good? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's going on with your kids? Like, a question. Are your kids good? Yeah. You would kind of get a certain moral perspective. And if you asked in the 80s and 90s, the heyday of the youth group, are the kids good? Are our kids good? Mm-hmm. You would get a, re- a response of, yeah, but we're really worried they're growing up too fast. Mm-hmm. That with the free space, as trying to be good parents, like Mr. and Mrs. Wheeler, we've given them all this free space. We're afraid that they're drinking, mm-hmm. that they're driving their cars too fast, that, um, you know, so you, you get referencing an 80s movie. I mean, you get Fast Times at Richmond High. Yeah. Where if you rewatch that movie, we haven't talked about this in the podcast. We have, we? No, okay. no, 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 no. If you if you watch rewatch that movie, first of all, I mean Sean Penn is a genius. Yeah, he's never been better than as Spicoli. But if you rewatch it, you're shocked. You're absolutely shocked at how old the kids seem. Yeah, and in one sense they are older. I mean they're actors playing yeah. high school kids, so they they should seem older. But at another level, um, just what they're doing, the way they're working, and of course the first scene of the the show. I grew up on this movie, man. Um, the the first this the first scene of the movie is uh, or early first scenes is Stacy who's fifteen years old mm-hmm. who works she's working at the pizza parlor right. first of all there's very f- few no fifteen year olds work working yeah she's working at the pizza parlor she has an older friend you know who's like sixteen seventeen and she just cannot wait to have her first sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And then she meets Ron Johnson the radio guy who's working at the stereo. Um, store she meets him lies about her age and then she has her first sexual experience um with him right. in the in the high school dugout and you know we and we get this we get the song she's gonna be done she's gonna be someone's baby tonight yeah yeah only light gonna shine tonight yeah um and she and she sneaks out of her house and all of this Please. right Cut that music. Well, we can't even thing. put. We can't include that for copyright reasons. Probably. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah cut yeah. that out. Lawyers won't allow it. But there's still these fast times of growing up. Right. Right. And so the youth group became, for in many ways, good reason of you would hire a, basically a grown up kid mm-hmm. who would what the kid would provide. You know, the twenty four year old youth director yep. would provide a youth group for the youth to essentially come and act goofy. Yep. Eat ice cream out of a trough. Chubby bunny. Yeah. Stuff marshmallows in your face. Put an egg in your armpit and do a relay. Yep. Because the kind of the point was slow down. Right. The whole, you know, like there's this tendency to speed up because we've given you this free space. Yeah. Now we slow down. So just come have fun. You don't have that much to do anyhow. You'd yep. probably be in a parking lot just you know, skateboarding. Slow times at insert name local Lutheran church, right? Yeah. 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 So so come and, and, and hang out. But this all gets flipped, I think, and it gets flipped when those of us, uh, people probably a little older than me, who grew up in these fast times became parents. And as the larger culture continued to accelerate and go faster, what we decided to do was slow down our kids growing up. Mm-hmm. And so now all these empirical studies seem to show that kids are growing up much slower. For instance, 
probably a good thing they're having their first sexual experience much later. And there are all these articles in the Times and things about that. I mean, the that, studies are out there. Like, yeah, like, like millennial sexual, sexual is desert and things like down. that. Yeah, yeah, way down. yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's been this there's this been this kind of movement to, to slow down. And one of the things that has happened to kind of give you another kind of cultural hook is it was so uncool. I don't know. You're you're like ten years younger. Yeah, than Yeah. So I graduated in 03. 03, Yes. Yeah, so you're yeah. exactly. So 10 you were years Nirvana. Younger. I was Backstreet Boys. There you go. Like, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm making. So I much, actually didn't like the Backstreet Boys. I'm thing. making so many judgments about your generation yeah. right now, but um, but I, you, I'm like the first of the millennials. You, yeah. We shepherded the way. Yeah. There you go. Well, I mean, you just think like when I was a kid, at least it was probably one of the most uncool things you could do to say like, my mom's my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> like that was like the l- lamest thing you could do. But now that's what most kids say. Yeah. Like that their parent is their best friend. And I don't yeah. want to belittle that. I hope. <laughs> yes. I know my 15 year old would never say that, but I would hope my, my kids would say that. Yeah. But it just shows you this whole kind of disposition right. and this difference in, in parenting where um, we're not in fast times we are in fast times culturally we're continuing to accelerate but one Mm -hmm. of our responses of that is to slow down our kids so long story longer is that what that means is that the youth group just becomes somewhat incoherent when the whole culture is slowing down young people right the youth group there to be just an enclave of for christian kids or potentially christian kids to slow down not drink peppermint schnapps and drive fast and play messy games and yeah yeah like first of all now kids have their parents next to them all the time and they're so busy that they don't have time for boyfriends or driving fast or hanging out in a parking lot. They don't really have time for a youth group either, you know? So um, I think we, it is just a big question of if you want to go to the youth ministry route, like what is youth ministry for? What's confirmation even for or something like that when we're in growing up slow times? I don't want people, I don't want to confuse people because I think the whole culture continues to accelerate. But one of the ways to respond to the acceleration is to slow down. Is to bring your kids close. Right. And to um, watch over them at every turn and essentially make your kid's life your life, you know. And um, it's really hard to know what a youth group is for when it's, when it's, when that happens. talked about this before on the podcast too but maybe it comes out of that age of authenticity and the dawning of that and yeah i think it is definitely interconnected with it no doubt about it and well and that becomes i think a big deal why and a big reason why parents end up slowing their kids down because of the way authenticity works Mm -hmm. and particularly the way that identity construction works inside of authenticity yeah where most parents assume that their children get to pick their own identity. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, like when I was a kid, my parents could kind of, in some sense, I mean, I'm overstating this, but could just let me do whatever I wanted or just hang out in the neighborhood because they kind of knew there were probably, I mean, I haven't done a scientific kind of thought about this, but there's probably like 12, 14 Mm -hmm. um, identities. I mean, that's why we all loved The Breakfast Club is because like that 
each one of those kids in detention was, in was one, of, one of the identity constructs you yeah. could have, you know. Yeah. And so there, there they were, whatever that was, what was mm-hmm. that, six or eight or whatever. Yeah. You know, maybe there were 12 or 14 well, you different could be identities a jock, you, you could, could have. You could be a nerd, you right. could be a cheerleader, you could be a burnout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you got you got picked on if you were outside of one of those. Yeah. And then you got picked on in, into being one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, now for good reason, we don't believe that. Right. Now we believe that everybody has a unique way of being them. Yeah. Um, well, that's great, but it's also quite frightening for parents to think, you know, your 11-year-old could just one day say, this is me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the overwhelming amount of identity options, it makes good sense for parents then to slow their kids down and keep them close. So it's a, it's a, so the slowdown is a mechanism of the acceleration of, of how the many acceleration I- because you can now pick your own identity and decide who you so parents want to slow it down right and help take some time to guide right. their kids into picking an identity and, that they want and, and the way the ethic of authenticity works yeah. is if your daughter says this is me right with some unique sexual identity some unique um fashion some unique whatever yep. and if you're to say no yep. i don't like that mm-hmm. you're you violated the ethic of authenticity and and like their own humanity too right well, yeah, and, yeah and i think legitimately this is a real gain culturally that that that, yep. that we can't ignore or bully someone into a certain perspective yeah but you also then as a parent feel like anything could happen mm-hmm. and you're willing to allow anything to happen you just want to be there for it right and you know that because anything could happen there still are mean people out there mm-hmm. so if your 11 year old or 13 year old does express this identity and then gets completely picked on yeah we do ha- hold this very high kind of high moral um i don't know this high high moral ground for getting recognition for your identity. Mm-hmm. So you want to be close as a parent because you don't want your kid in their very unique identity to then get negative feedback for it, yep. which would then maybe lead them to hate their unique identity, yep. which means they could never, ever be happy. Yeah. And what you really want as a parent is it's your kid, kid to, to be, be happy. happy. And for your kid to be happy, they have to be somewhat satisfied with their identity. And, yep. and to be satisfied with their identity, they have to be recognized in some kind of affirming way. And the only way you can make sure and even shield them from negative recognition is to be present. Yep. So keep them home, slow them down, and sign them up for every league you can. Yep. And if you can get to youth group with a million other things you have to do, that's great. Yep. But you surely don't need youth group to be a fun activity to keep kids from hanging out in the parking lot and smoking. Right. Because they don't have time for that. Right. They have gymnastics, and then they got choir, yep. and then they got this, and then they got that, and then yep. they got that, and then they got to do this. And this is sad, but like youth group doesn't really contribute to your identity in the cultural sense that it's going to be affirmed by people outside of the church. Like, no, you you wouldn't want to be like the youth group kid. You know what I mean? Well, especially when it comes to recognition, if you need recognition, you know, like, uh, you can get really significant cultural recognition for being like, oh, she's a star gymnast or she's really artsy and her art is at, in these galleries at this place or whatever. She, you know, she makes She's an entrepreneur and makes bracelets, and she could be on Shark Tank. Like right. you can get all sorts of recognition for that. You don't get much of any recognition for being like, oh, he goes to confirmation. He goes to confirmation, like, and he it, memorized it, his it, small catechism. Right? Yeah. There, there's none of that. Yeah. However, and this is kind of a contribution I'm trying to make in my book, um, "The End of Youth Ministry" with a question mark. Yeah. Um, is uh, that there isn't there is a 
disconnect culturally. And the disconnect culturally is that you need, like we were saying in another episode of this podcast, you need things to construct an identity. And I don't think that's true. And we see that with why parents want to be so close. It reveals that there's something deeper than just involvement in activities and having finding your thing that that produces your identity you yeah. need a story yes you need a story so basketball or choir or making bracelets and being an entrepreneur only actually sticks if it is embedded in a story mm-hmm. and you really only have an identity if you have a story right and so i what i worry about is like Youth group tries to compete in the economy of things. Yep. How could we make youth group or confirmation or whatever just as important as basketball? Right. Just important. If they'll get up at five in the morning to go to swimming, right? Why, you know, for their why wouldn't they get up on a Wednesday morning and go to Bible study? Yeah. Why can't we get them? They should care about this because the Bible's truth and this is just swimming. Right. Um, But it just doesn't have the same kind of. It doesn't sit in the same kind of ecosystem as all these other things sit in. But what, it, what, not a youth group, but what involvement in a Christian community has, which the thing doesn't primarily have, whether that's basketball or hockey or mm-hmm. some non-sport thing, is it has an embedded story. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, my work, especially with youth workers, has tried to push for so many years. You, The objective here is to expose young people to stories. Yep. And to the stories of a community, yep. um, to yep. the stories like we were just, you know, in the episode about the imminent frame, thinking about how do we articulate and tell these stories yeah. um, becomes pretty significant. One of the most powerful things I've experienced in my church is during Lent, we have people come up and instead of sermons, they share their stories about life and faith and all this kind of stuff. A couple of years ago, we had like, I don't know, three three of our confirmation kids that wanted to do it. And it was just awesome. And we told them like, you don't have to, you don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to get all deep in the weeds. Just tell your story. And like, if you think you've seen God at work in your life, like sure. And it was just beautiful. And what was so cool about it is adults from the congregation who weren't their parents, weren't their pastors, just other adults in the community, like, affirm them. Yeah. And would talk to them out in the hallway and remember them. And now them, know them. And now know them. Not just their name, but they right. know because yeah. they heard that story, There, there's just a connection of being that happens yeah. in the event of stories. Yep. So this goes to what? Were we three seasons into um, Stranger Things? Is that what we are? We are three seasons in. So the end of season three, where we have that big battle at the mall. Yeah. And um, what's the kid's name? Billy. Billy. So Billy's gone bad. He's been possessed by the the, the demigorgon. Right. And then Elle goes inside of his memories, essentially, right? And she, she has the experience of seeing him be picked on by his dad and losing his mom and things like that, right? So we see this great transformation in him because remember, he's going to kill her with that big spidery thing that are controlling him. And she, what she does is she starts identifying with the events of his life, Mm -hmm. the most important events, like the event of being with his mom on the beach, of experiencing his dad, um, saying hurtful things to him. She starts to identify with those events. And identifying with those events, she has a way of reworking his identity. Mm Mm-hmm. And freeing him up to seek a different good than the good he had. Yep. And so there's something really powerful, I think, in the context of ministry is that that I think what identity actually is are these episodes 
experiences, happenings that happen in our life. But we all have those. Like we're having one right now. Right. And it probably will not press in and form your identity. Yeah. I mean, this is a great podcast. Hey, don't sell yourself short. In my office. But for yeah. the most part, in probably a month, you're going to be like, I kind of remember that. I kind of don't. Yeah. For it to move, for a happening episode occurrence to move into an event, you have to have strong evaluation on it. Yeah. You have to have kind of some sense like this means something. Yeah. But then you have to take another step and you have to start narrating it. Yeah. And so that's how we form our identities. We have happenings, occurrences that turn into events that we identify with. Yeah. Which is also to put this in theological vein and to say that I, you know, I'm a kind of theologian that thinks the way God acts formulates and gives us information, gives a deep kind of sense of what it means to be a human being, that the identity of God, who God is, is the one who identifies with events. Yep. So God is the one who identifies with Israel in slavery in Egypt. Mm-hmm. God is the one who identifies um, with Sarah's barren womb. Yep. God is the one who identifies with Jesus crucified mm-hmm. and resurrected, that yep. this, is, this is who God is. And the, and the only information we can have about God is is the events of God's action, the events yeah. of God's encounter. And so this is who God is. So when we say, who is God? What is God's identity? We can only talk about these events. You just point to the story. We can only po- point to the story. Yeah. And not just the story as a, like a hypothetical thing, mm-hmm. like a fairy tale. We point to it as a happening, an occurrence, an event of encounter yep. that can only be made sense of by narrating it, by, yep. by a story. Yep. And I think that's what it means to be a human being, um, is that we are these kind of beings who have these events, which all animals have events, happenings, occurrences, yeah. but they tend not to strive, I don't think, I've never been inside the mind of my yep. dog, yep. but I don't think my dog gives strong evaluation to them. Right. Like, this was good, that was bad. Mm-hmm. I felt most myself, I guess, when I was doing this, I felt like I was overlooked when that, like, doesn't yeah. give strong evaluation. We probably need language events. to do that. We're the exactly. Only ones, as far as we know, we're because the only ones that have Because the next step to give it strong evaluation, you have to narrate it and yeah. tell it a story. Give it meaning, it, yeah. Yeah, and give it a story. Yeah. And the story is how it has meaning. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, I mean, I my point about the story, then, is that if we really want to do work of identity with young people in confirmation or whatever, yeah. The story is more powerful than the thing. Yep. So we keep grieving the end of youth group. Who right. cares about youth group? Right. What we care about is the vehicle of narrative because it connects to moments of confessed events of people's lives mm-hmm. that lead us into discerning and interpreting where is God acting yep. and who am I? next to these events? Yeah. Who am I next to the fact that I lived with my grandma and she died when I was 11, but she's still the most important person in my life? You know, they, those become events. Yeah. Or, you know, um, what happened when, what does it mean for me to be me that I got picked on when I was in middle school? And I can remember specifically, you know, spilling chili on my lap and yeah. then people making fun of me mm-hmm. and saying, oh, look at Brandon, he had his first period. Yeah. Which is a, from a, from a um, documentary that I, I show in class. But like that event, that lunch period becomes more than just an episode of occurrence. It becomes a vent. Mm-hmm. And he now starts to write his own um, story around this. And this kid in this documentary says, like, that's when everything changed for me. That's when I became a loser and an outcast, mm-hmm. when that thing happened. So he, now he writes his whole story around that event. And so I think a huge piece of the Christian identity, and this is big in the age of authenticity, is that somehow the event of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection has to become 
a defining event for your own identity mm-hmm. where you write your own events inside of it and interpret your own events next to it. Um, and yeah. And then the, the, the thing that's hard is then your identity in Christ and the fact that Christ identifies with all your events becomes maybe more important than any other event that forms your identity and maybe even any other way of articulating your identity, which is hard because that starts to feel like it could be a moral violation in the age of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Christ calls us to come and die, yeah. and in some sense says you have no other identity but your identity in me, and I crucify all these other identities, but then I give them back to you mm-hmm. um, in some sense. So, But that's a really hard thing that we have to do a lot more thinking about. Yeah, the work's cut out for us. Yeah. New Time Religion is a podcast featuring Dr. Andrew Root, which is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our show. You can find more of Andy's books on his website, andrewroot.org, and you can order them on Amazon. His most recent series focuses on Charles Taylor's work in the secular age, and his new book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, is out now. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for another round of New Time Religion.